So today we are going to be looking at the problem of evil. What about evil? And I am going to take a moment to just pray as we begin that. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so faithful, Lord God. Your, your nature is, is good to the very core, Lord God, that we don't need to be afraid of any issues that life brings us, any questions that life brings us. You have the answers. You are able to answer in a way that is clear, understandable, powerful, and life-changing, Lord. And I pray that as we share around this topic that you would you would um, allow me to preach your word your way. And Lord God, you would allow, allow every person here to hear what they need to hear in order to move forward with more authority, more grace, more life, or more victory in their lives. Amen and amen. I just want to let you know that last week we prayed for some people who had problems with their intestines, and I'm, I'm pleased to report that two were instantly healed as we prayed for them. Both of them reported how, how pain had gone um, I've, with intestines. I don't want to give all the details. You know what I'm talking about. But, but things were working that weren't working. <laughs> you know, God, God is just really, really faithful. So we just, we want to thank God for the miraculous power. I do believe this is a season of miracles. You know, I feel like every season is really a season of miracles because from the time Jesus rose again, we, we entered into an era of the power of God demonstrating his love to the world. So be let's believe together for increase and blessing and, and change in every area. Amen. So we're looking about at what about evil? Did you know that this question, the concept of the existence of evil, has been called Christianity's Achilles heel? In other words, it's, it's the, uh, supposedly the weakness of our theology. In other words, it's the, it's the doctrine that gives us the most problem. If God is a good God, if God is a good God, why does evil exist? Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Why doesn't a good God stop the wars, stop the tsunamis, stop the, the marriage breakdowns, the murders, etc.? If he's good, why do these things exist? Of course, we don't have to be afraid of even difficult questions because God has answers. But as we as we answer this question, what it does for us is it gives us a level of academic authority to stand in relationship to the people around us. As we start, I just, wa I just want to lay the foundation of whose evil are we talking about? Because as you look down the ages, you will notice that every culture kind of defines evil a bit differently. Have you noticed that? That, that things that were wrong maybe a hundred years ago aren't considered wrong anymore. And, you know, things that are wrong in one culture aren't necessarily wrong in another culture. Yeah. And so, so when we, we want to start tackling this very difficult question about what about evil, we have to first look at whose evil are we talking about? Whose evil is the standard, so to speak? Funnily enough, I went ahead and, and looked at some laws, some, some examples of good and evil throughout history. And did you know that in a certain town in America, for a long time, it was absolutely illegal to eat fried chicken with a knife and fork? 
<laughs> yeah, really. I know there, there's some people here, you're saying, yes, yes, yes. In another, in another town around the same time, there, there was a law that said no woman was allowed to wear heels of more than five centimeters. I'm like, you, you've seen what I wear. I'm like, I'm not going to that town. That's not my town. It's not my town. That's not my evil. It's going to be your evil. It's not my evil. How about this one? In the UK, for a long time, there has been a law. It's still on the books. It's still on the books, believe it or not. Every motor vehicle in the UK is required by law to carry a bale of hay inside of it. Because once upon a time, there were horses around, and if you broke down, you had to feed your horse. You know what I'm saying? But, but now, no one took it off the books. It was required that you carry a bale of hay. Also in the UK, funny enough, there is this wild law that no woman is allowed to eat chocolate on public transport. I don't know why the men could eat it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but no woman was allowed to eat chocolate on public transport. How about, how about this one? Is that also in the UK, you are not allowed to carry salmon fish in a suspicious way. You know, I just feel like anyone walking around carrying salmon is suspicious right from the start. You know, and that's just like, where did that come from? How about this really, really wild one? It is still a law in the UK today. It is completely illegal, completely illegal to die when in Parliament. It's, it's completely illegal to die in Parliament. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, what are they going to do if you die in Parliament? Give, give you the death penalty. I mean, it's like, I mean, what? What? <laughs> but anyway, it's completely illegal to die in Parliament. So when we look down the, at these things, you know, it's like, whose evil are we talking about? Now, who sets the standard? Who says what's evil and what's not evil? We're going to look at the Bible. How about that? So there's a scripture in Ezekiel 28, and it gives the uh, origins of Satan. And it speaks about how Satan was originally an angel of God, beautiful and majestic, and how he fell and became Satan. It starts like this in verse 12. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. I want you to see the beauty of how he was created. I, I want to say this is true of all creation, that, that we have a good God that from the beginning, everything he made was perfect. Everything he made was beautiful, majestic, lovely, incredible. This portion of scripture goes on and it says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. 
created perfect, beautiful, sinless. I want to alert you to verse 15 that's at the top of the page there. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Created holy, right and pure. Till wickedness was found in you. From this we know that God did not create evil. That everything he created was good and right. But that is possible for evil to be found in even the perfection that God created. We're going to talk some more about that. There's a scripture in Isaiah 14 that also kind of mirrors this passage talking about how Satan became Satan. And it says this, Satan, Satan created in all this beauty and majesty, carrying the power of God, made five I will statements. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend above. I will make myself like the most high. There came a moment when, when Satan looked at his own beauty and his majesty and his brilliance, and he said, oh, my word, aren't I fantastic? I should be ruling this world. I will ascend. I will be like God. I will take over. I will be a God to myself, and I will be a God to this world. And in that moment, wickedness was found in him. I want to... I want to extrapolate that point and say evil is found in God's good creation. When God's good creation rises up and says, I want to throw off the yoke of God's goodness. I want to throw off the yoke of God's leadership, of his, his um, governance. And I want to be a God unto myself. I want to rule myself. I want to lead myself. I want to be in charge. At that moment, wickedness enters into the heart of that being. Humor me for a moment and think of a box. And if you can't think of a box, there one is one right in front of you. You know, I think that, I know that, I'm human, I know this, that every human being has an idea in their minds of what is right and wrong. You know, I. I, he I hear it all the time. How could that person do that? Even the very question that says, if God is good, how can he e allow evil? Presupposes that we have a personal standard of right and wrong. It's almost like we have a box. And, and in this box, all good things fit. Outside of the box is all evil things. And when we ask this question, if God is so good, how can evil exist? If God is so good, why doesn't he stop this evil? What it actually says is that we stand there and we say, God, here's my box of what is good. Why don't you fit inside my box? In other words, we are saying, I will rise to the place of being judge over the earth. I will determine for myself what is right and wrong. And God, you must fit into it. And I want to propose that very attitude is what creates wickedness on this earth. Because we become the standard of right and wrong. There was a... Another instance right at the beginning of the Bible recorded in Genesis 2 when God was speaking to all of mankind through Adam. And he said this, he said, 
And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. In other words, he said to them, listen, guys, I'm leaving you to rule the earth, to be over everything. But there's one thing I reserve for myself that is the right to determine what is right and wrong. It's not for me to fit into your idea of right and wrong. I'm asking you, I'm saying to you, I'm begging you, I'm commanding you, I'm pleading with you. You submit to my idea of right or wrong so that you might live. The minute you take that responsibility on yourself, you will die. Evil will be found in you. Wickedness will be found in you. The bottom line of this point is this, that whatever is outside of God is evil and whatever is in God is good. Whatever is outside of God is evil and whatever is inside of God is good. Instead of saying, God, if you're so good, why is this evil all around? We say, God, you are so good. Look, how do you explain that? Lord, you are so good. How do I appropriate this thing that is happening? How do I sit in you? How do I, I be in you? How do I hear from you, live in your love, and view these things outside of your love? How, do, how, how are you going to prove yourself good even in this situation? How are you going to turn this to make it good? How are you going to work this thing for good? These are the questions that someone submitted to God asks. I'm going to have you picture something else for me for a moment. Remember way back when, when you had that really good childhood friend? Do you remember that really good childhood friend? You know, the one you played soccer with, you climbed trees with, you played pranks on the teacher with, you sneaked um, chocolate out of the, your mom's pantry with. You know that friend? You know that friend that you just did everything with, had such a blast with? Would it make a difference to you if you knew that your mom had paid that friend to be your friend? Would that make a difference to you? Would it change your view of that friendship? How about if you learned that your older brother had bullied that child and said, you will be friend, my sibling? I mean, wouldn't that in that moment change your idea of the friendship? Why? Because we intrinsically know this truth, that in order for love to be love, it has to be freely given. In order for love to be love, it has to be freely given. The minute it's coerced, forced, mandated, it is no longer love. It is no longer love. And therefore, God, who absolutely at his essence is love, if he were going to create you and me in an environment where we could receive his love and we could reciprocate his love, he would absolutely have to create an environment of freedom. And my proposal to you is this, that God didn't create evil, he created freedom. God didn't create evil, he created freedom. Because love, for love to exist, an environment of freedom must be there. Love cannot exist outside of freedom. 
But that leaves a dilemma. Because it means that these free beings that God created, who were meant to receive his love and give his love, have the freedom to choose good or to choose evil. To choose right or to choose wrong. To choose to be in relationship with him or choose not to be in relationship with him. In essence, when he made you, he was taking the risk that there was a chance that you would not love him in return. Love requires freedom. Freedom allows for choice. Choice means that human beings can choose good and they can choose evil. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians. It says this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, I've said this before, but love in itself cannot exist outside of relationship. I mean, if you are just the only person on the world in the world, there's going to be no love because there's no one to love and there's no one to receive love from. Love cannot exist outside of relationship. I want to propose this to you that evil cannot exist out of relationship. So in other words, if you were the only person in the world, there would be no evil because you could not harm anyone and no one could harm you. The only reason that earthquakes are terrible is because they harm people. They harm people. They harm people. <laughs> the only reason that, that divorce, we consider it as a bad thing, is because it harms people. Murder is terrible. Why? Because it, it harms people. It breaks relationship. At the essence of the, 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 the understanding of evil is that evil is a breakdown of relationship. It's choosing not to love. We're going to go look at one more picture. And I know I'm standing with my back to it because it makes me feel creepy just looking at that picture. We have this problem in our house. Maybe you also have it. But every winter, for some reason, the ants come into our house. And they, you know, we work super hard to get rid of them. And then by the end of winter, we kind of get rid of them. And I... I'm so happy, and the next window, bam, there they are again. I think they just head out into the garden and say, let's give her a break for a week. We'll be back next year. But how is it about ants that they always get go into the sugar? I mean, what is that? I mean, I, I, mean I, I do stuff with my sugar bowl. I mean, I cover it. I put things on. I seal it. But they just keep getting into the sugar. It's just so frustrating. And at times, you know, there's so many ants in there that I look and it's like I can't, I can't decide if there's more ants or more sugar. And, you know, I, I sit there and I think I could sit here and maybe pick out every ant. But you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm just going to throw the sugar away. I'm going to start again. Throw the sugar away, put new sugar in, seal it. And trust like crazy that those ants don't come back. You're thinking for yourself, I mean, where is this point going? Where is this point going? Well, it does have a point. And this is that, like a bowl of sugar, so to speak, picture your heart as a, as a bowl of sugar. 
is that our hearts have been irreparably damaged by our choices. It's like a whole lot of sneaky ants got in. By virtue of our choices, a whole lot of bad stuff got into our hearts. And you know, it's, it's infiltrated our t- hearts and it's got to the place when at some stage you look at, look at people's hearts and you can't tell what is whole heart and what is damaged heart. And God is left with this dilemma because God, uh, God hates evil. He hates sin. He hates suffering. He hates pain. He hates heartache. The way we know it is that we watch Jesus move from person to person to alleviate it. God hates that stuff. It's anathema to him. It's outside of him. It's everything that he's not. He hates it. And if you go and read Revelations 20 and 21, it's very clear. It's very clear that at some stage, God is going to annihilate every form of evil. He's just going to like with one sweep of his hand, he's going to pick it up by the scruff of the neck and throw it into a lake of fire. Like death, Hades, everything that is not God is going there. But now he looks at his creation, the pinnacle of his creation, the object of his love, mankind, and there he sees evil in the heart of mankind. His dilemma is, how do I destroy evil without destroying my people? How do I destroy evil without destroying the ones I love? How does he destroy evil without destroying your mom, without destroying your neighbor, without destroying your work colleague? How does he destroy evil without destroying people? The same way as I clear out my sugar bowl, I put new sugar in. Jesus comes and he looks at you and he says, I died and I made a way for you to have a new heart. Will you give me your damaged heart and I will give you my heart. I will fill you with my pure and holy presence. I will make you new. I will turn you into a new creation. And there's this story in John 3 and it's a story about a man called Nicodemus. And he... He kind of wanted Jesus, he kind of didn't. He was one of the religious leaders and he, I guess he had a lot to lose by seeing with Jesus, being seen with Jesus. And so, so he kind of sneaked up to Jesus one night to ask him questions. And he starts asking him questions and starts this, king, this story about, or this conversation about the kingdom. And Jesus kind of ignores everything he's saying and looks him straight in the eye and ma- eyes and makes a statement. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He's alluding straight to this point. He's saying, listen, you want to be right. You want to be whole. You want to be rid of evil. There is only one way. You must give me your heart and I must give you a new one. You must be made over. You must be remade. You must be born again. And if I just want to hammer that part home or that point home, should I say, 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it like this. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the divine exchange of Jesus Christ. He hung on that cross and he took your brokenness, your pain, your heartache, your wrong choices, your sin, your messings up, you name it. He took it and he said, I will take all of that and I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my righteousness. I will make your heart over. I will make you a new creation. And then God will stand with every one of his new creations found in him, hidden in him. And he will, with the blast of his nostrils, with one sweep of his hands, he will annihilate every war, every sickness, every poverty, every heartache, every pain, every suffering. He will stand on this earth and he will say, mine. No evil, no suffering, nothing left. And we will be safely hidden in him, made new, safe from the devastating judgment that is coming on evil. Safe from the devastating judgment that is coming on evil. In the New Testament, Jesus is likened to the ark of the, the ark, not the ark of the covenant, the ark of Noah. And it's, called, it's a beautiful picture. In that time, God wanted to, to destroy evil on the earth, called his people into this ark to be saved from the, the terrible flood that would come. And so it is with Christ, is that we find ourselves moving, surrendering the control of a life and saying, God, I, instead of living my life my own way, I'm coming into the ark of your presence. I'm coming into you. I'm going to be found in you so that when you send the sweeping judgment on the earth, I will be safe in the ark of your presence. I will be safe in the ark of your presence. And it's God who leave you with this thought. What about my neighbor? What about my cousin? What about my aunt? What about my friend? It's God who leave you with that, that question. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus had this in mind. There is coming a time where I'm going to wipe out evil. I'm going to destroy iniquity, and I want my people in. Go, find them. Bring them in. Bring the lost children home. Bring my children into safety. Find them. Bring them. Make them safe. In conclusion, God didn't create evil. He created freedom. Whatever is outside of God is evil and whatever is in God is good. Our hearts have been irreparably corrupted by our broken relationships but God has made a way for all to be restored by giving us new hearts and restoring us to relationship with him. And a verse that just struck my heart recently, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. <sighs> Evil itself does not make God somehow weaker, somehow less, somehow non-existent. The existence of evil proves the existence of a good and loving God, a good, loving, and patient God. 
because I've asked this question. I've asked this question. You know, when I've sat and watched news reports of terrible things, I've thought, God, if you could do that wiping out of evil thing now, I'd be really happy. You know, when I hear of genocide and just abuse, I'm like, God, just wipe them out. Wipe them out. Have you ever felt like that? And I hear God say every time, I am unwilling. I am unwilling to lose one of my children in the judgment that will come. I'm unwilling to lose one of them. Will you go? Will you speak? Will you tell? Will you witness? Will you share? Will you make my love real to the world? Will you make my love real to the world? So Lord, we want to pray that you, Father God, first of all, I just marvel at who you are. How, how incredible this plan of yours is. That you created freedom so that we could be loved and could love in return. And Lord God, you also made a play, plan for the bad choices we would make. From the, before the foundation of time, Jesus already had made the decision. He had already been crucified. He would already provided the ark. He would already provided the safety. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Lord God, we agree. We agree with your hatred of evil, Lord. And Lord God, we, we ask for mercy for our country, for our nation, that you would reach out, out with the power of your spirit and you would set men free. You would cause people to run to you from the east, west, north, and south and beg for salvation, Lord God. Give them, Lord God, salvation. Pour out salvation on this nation, Lord God. And Lord God, destroy every evil. Destroy every evil. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.